dark places. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. It's hard to say, really. It's cold here. I think the older I get, the more I hate cold weather. Wake up every day, it's like Groundhog Day, that movie. Remember that one? Bill Murray. I wake up every morning and there's just snow and ice everywhere and just sick of it. But that's enough of my problems. And now here's my friend, Mr. Haunted, with the news. Breaking Whistlepig news. We have some sad news to report tonight. Milltown Mel, one of New Jersey's weather-predicting groundhogs, died on Sunday, just days before the big annual ceremony. His death was announced on the groundhog's official Facebook page. It wasn't immediately clear how the groundhog died. This year's Groundhog Day festivity in Milltown, New Jersey is canceled, according to the Facebook post. We wranglers are sad to report that Milltown Mel recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge. Mel left us at a tough time of year while most of his fellow groundhogs are hibernating, so no babies will be able to replace him until this spring. We tried everywhere to get a stand-in, but to no avail. On February 2nd of every year, Milltown Mel predicts whether we will see an end to winter or another six weeks of cold weather. This tradition was inspired by the original Groundhog Day, which was celebrated for the first time on February 1887 at Gobbler's Knob in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. According to tradition, if a groundhog comes out of its hole on this day and sees its shadow, it gets scared and runs back into its burrow, predicting six more weeks of winter weather. No shadows mean an early spring. What does it mean when this little whistle pig dies? He's dead, dead, dead. Rest in peace, little Milltown Mel. Iguanas are falling from trees in Florida as a cold snap hits. So these iguanas are falling from the trees in Florida as the U.S. Sunshine State is hit with unusually cold weather conditions. In South Florida, temperatures reached a low of minus 4 Celsius, 25 degrees Fahrenheit, early on Sunday, the National Weather Service said. Thank you, National Weather Service. The agency said the region was experiencing some of the coldest temperatures in more than a decade. Iguanas are cold-blooded and rely on the sun and natural heat from their surroundings to keep warm. If the reptiles get too cold, they can freeze and effectively end up in a coma, causing those resting in the trees to lose their grip and fall. Despite this, most remain alive as they keep breathing and their main body functions still work. They will later thaw out in the sun as temperature rise again. For example, hey Johnny, you all right down there? Yeah, I'll be all right. Just going to be a little bit. While this is unusual, it's not the first time iguanas have plummeted to the ground from trees due to the sharp fall in temperatures in the state. And it can be dangerous if they land on cars or people. Early on Monday, the National Weather Service reported that temperatures in Miami were expected to rise in the coming hours with clear skies and sunshine forecast for later that day. Excellent. 
Always worry about those little iguanas. Now, if you listen to last week's show, uh, we did a story in the first few minutes of the program regarding um, a bunch of monkeys, lab monkeys, that got loose on a highway um, caused by a traffic accident. And they're running willy-nilly all over Pennsylvania, and they're trying to grab them all up. So this is kind of a a follow-up to that story. January 27th. Witness becomes sick after truck carrying lab monkeys crashes. From Parabnormal News. Thank you, Parabnormal News. Michelle Fallon witnessed a truck carrying 100 lab monkeys crash in Pennsylvania last Friday afternoon. She became sick and is now on a two-week antiviral regimen and has received her first dose of the rabies vaccine. I thought I was just doing the right thing by helping, I had no idea it would turn out this way, Fallon told TV station WBRE. Next thing I knew, the dump truck crashes into the trailer and it spins and both of them crashed into the trees. Pennsylvania State Police had a silver Dodge Ram pickup truck hauling the macaque monkeys and a specialized trailer collided with a passing dump truck near the intersection of Interstate 80 and Route 54 near Danville. Fallon had been driving behind the truck when the driver pulled out in front of the dump truck, causing the collision and spilling the crates of monkeys. We got out to assist the drivers and said to the driver, he just asked if his trailer was okay. He never said, if you come near a crate, don't touch it. If he told me that, I would have been more careful. The monkeys reportedly arrived in the United States from the island nation of Mauritius, sorry about that, in the Indian Ocean. Various reports from Philly Voice and New York Post claim that they were destined for an unnamed CDC-approved quarantine facility in Florida or Mississippi. Initially, there were local reports of four escaped monkeys, which triggered a large-scale search by Pennsylvania State Police, the Department of Health, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Within 24 hours, all the monkeys had been located and reclaimed. PETA has condemned how the incident was handled, including the exposure risk to humans and the decisions to euthanize the escaped monkeys without explanation. The organization filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which confirmed that it has opened an investigation. So there's the latest on the uh, monkey situation. Back to in dark places. And we have some emails this week to get to. So let's open up the email bag. first email comes from one of our original gangsta listeners, Steve. It ties in with that last news bit. I know that you heard about the monkeys in Pennsylvania. Did you hear about the bridge collapsing on January 28th? 
there's nothing like a bridge collapse to take away the media from the monkeys. It all works together. If you make a bridge collapse, it takes everybody's mind off of what's going on. Like they did in the 60s with the Mothman. And that definitely makes sense to me. You don't want the public knowing that the next great pandemic originated from a monkey in the woods of Pennsylvania. Our next email comes from Matt. He's also been on the ride with us for a long time. He says, I listened to your last two podcasts. Very cool. I hear you get some odd things happen near your home. The pterodactyl sound and other noises. I've heard many stories on people seeing them. Plus, this one guy walking a trail came across one on the ground. Also, you made me laugh with your government-supplied snow. just isn't the same as it used to be. Very odd stuff. Yeah, for sure. This junk that falls from the skies nowadays is like frozen sand. I can't even remember the last time me and Brandon were able to build a snowman. I think it was back around 2017. Let's put a stop to the fake snow already. And... By the way, I'd like to talk to some of those folks that had the pterodactyl sightings. Pretty interesting. Matt is typing up some of his UFO sightings as we speak. I'm looking forward to reading those on the show. Thanks, Matt. Our next email kind of segues into what we're talking about this week. Our Haunted World, Chapter 2. Last week I played a sound clip from my old friend Mark Corbin talking about the Highland, Illinois UFO sighting of 2000 from a show that he did shortly before his death. I sent the episode to Mark's surviving sisters. His sister Carla wrote in with this letter. Thank you so much for sharing your latest episode. It put a smile on my face. I miss Mark so much. It was very good to hear my brother's voice and to know his beliefs were not ignored and are still here. He's definitely smiling. I thought you may like to know that I played your podcast for my kids. And as soon as you said Mark Corbin, the vegetable oil flew from my cupboard. Mark is here. He has never left us. Thank you. Thank you, Carla. If anyone could figure out how to communicate from the other side, it would definitely be my buddy Mark. He was an extremely smart guy. Thank you, Steve and Matt also. You guys are awesome told Carla that we're going to be reading ghost stories this week so she sent in some of her other ghost stories and we'll get to those a little bit later on in the show we got a brand new segment this week this is the Nicolas Cage meltdown of the week Last night, I just didn't feel like going to bed, and, and I ran into Michael and went for a ride. Thanks, Nick. It's very insightful. My parents bought their haunted house back in 1995. I've told several stories about that house on the show before, and I still have plenty more to tell. 
when we first moved there, we heard some stories about the ghost of a woman wearing a blue dress being seen on this curve above my parents' house. We never did see her for years. After our house fire in 2009, we lived with my parents for a while until we get back up on our feet. And my only vehicle was a Mustang at the time. My dad's house is up on a hill, and it's impossible for the Mustang to climb it. So I'd always have to park down at this wide spot on the other side of the road from my dad's house. One night I was parked there and unloading groceries from the trunk of my Mustang. To my left, I saw this woman wearing a blue dress and no shoes walking down the road right beside me. The trunk of the car was blocking her face. I could only see from her knees down. This kind of startled me. So I popped my head up from the trunk to look at her, and she disappeared. This type of ghost story comes from what is known as a residual haunting. These ghosts seem to be stuck in an endless loop, repeating certain events from their lives over and over for all eternity. We have a friend across the ocean. Name's Paul Chadwick. He is our executive in charge who sends us stories, show ideas. For years he's been doing this. And he sent um, he sent me a bunch of, uh, they're called like wintry ghost stories. So I like this one right here. And again, thanks, Paul. This one's called Hold Him Tab. Yep. I remember what it was like before the railroad came through these parts. I used to earn my living by carting supplies from town to town on horse-drawn wagons. Not easy work, no sir. Especially in winter. One cold December day, I was traveling with my buddy Tab when it began to snow. Gee willikers, it was cold. We needed to find shelter quick, and I was delighted when I spotted an abandoned house. We thought we were real lucky, finding such a good shelter. As we unhitched the horses, a fellow stopped by to talk to us, claimed he was the owner of the property, told us we were welcome to stay, but the house was haunted. The owner said that no one who had ever stayed in that house had made it out alive. That was enough for me. I hitched old Betsy back up to the wagon and moved up the road to a stand of trees that offered some shelter from the snow. Tab said he wasn't afraid of no ghosts, and he didn't plan on perishing in the snow. I wasn't about to risk my neck in a haunted house. I built a fire as best as I could, and waited through the long night wondering a couple times if Tab wasn't the smart one. Well, just about dawn, I gave up trying to sleep and went back down the road to see how Tab had fared for the night. I peeked through the windows on the first floor, I saw Tab snoozing peacefully in a big bed. He looked warm and happy. Then I saw a movement on the ceiling. I looked up and there was a large man dressed all in white floating flat against the ceiling. The man was right over Tab looking down on him. Tab, I whispered, tapping at the window. Tab, get out of there, you fool. Tab woke. But instead of looking towards the window, he looked straight up and saw the man on the ceiling. Tab gave an awful yell, but before he could move out of the bed, that man fell and landed right on top of him. Now, Tab was a big, strong fella, 
but that ghost was more powerful. They wrestled back and forth on the bed. I gave a shout and smashed the glass in the window, shouting, Hold him, Tab, hold him! Just then, the ghost flung himself and Tab right at me, knocking me back out of the window and into the snow. The ghost levitated himself and Tab onto the roof of the front porch. I kept shouting, Hold him, Tab, hold him! The ghost and Tab were wrestling frantically on the porch roof. The ghost gave a mighty leap and threw Tab onto the roof of the house. Hold him, Tab, hold him! Then the ghost lifted Tab right into the air. I got him, Tab cried, but he got me too. They were floating a few feet off the roof, still grappling with each other, and then the ghost carried Tab straight up into the air, and they vanished. I never saw Tab again. Our friend Linda sent in some of her experiences. She's also an original gangsta in dark places. And she's had dozens of weird experiences in her life, just like me and Jimmy. The first really bad thing that happened to me there was when we first moved in. It was either 1969 or the early 70s. I was 9 or 10 at the time. My bed was against a wall across from a door. I could look out into the living room. One night, I woke up for no reason and just opened my eyes. I lay there for a minute, facing right toward my outer wall. I turned my head to the left toward my door, and standing beside me was a man with a horrible grin on his face. I was terrified, and at first could do nothing. Then I closed my eyes and started screaming for my mom. Of course, I got the usual, you were dreaming, but I was wide awake. This story is called The Headless Woman. Long years ago, on a hauling lane, also called a towpath, which still doesn't explain what that is for me, anyway, some kind of hauling lane or towpath that runs along the river down to Middlethorpe, a lady without a head walked every night to the dismay and terror of many people. You know, if I was walking down a towpath and saw a lady without a head, I would tell my friends I was very dismayed at this. So anyway, to the dismay and terror of many people, she was invariably clothed in white, and the tale told of her death gave effect to her appearance. It was asserted that the woman walked by the river one summer night and coming to the hauling lane where a clump of trees had braved the storms for centuries, she was cruelly murdered by decapitation. In death, bent on pursuing her murderers, she came forth at the witching hours of night, just as the boom of the minster clock broke upon the still hour of midnight. Headless, but wrapped in a shroud, she wandered to and fro along the riverbank, and then, wearied with her fruitless toil, she returned to her dusty bed. Every inhabitant of Middlethorpe and Bishopthorpe could many years ago tell of seeing her and describe her walk, her waiting, and her headless form. 
see, see, that's funny because it's called the headless woman and I played head games. So it's, see, see, it's funny. So, all right, thanks. My old buddy, Mark Corbin used to talk about how he would hang out with his sister, Carla into the wee hours of the night, trying to capture EVPs in her haunted house. So it makes sense that he would be communicating with her since he passed in 2013. Here's a story from Carla. The day my brother died, my mother called me. I got to their house, and Mark was still inside the house, and no one was allowed to go in because the coroner was inside with some other people. My mom was sitting on her back deck. I went to her, and she was so angry and upset. She was hitting herself in the head, screaming, Why, Mark? Why did you leave? I said to her, Mom, please stop. Mark would not want you doing this. Her house phone rang, and it always popped the number up. I did not immediately recognize who was calling, and she just kept saying hello. I said, Who is it, Mom? And she said, I don't know, and was crying. I then took the phone, held it to my ear, and said hello. All I could hear was a clicking. I looked at the number again and immediately recognized it. It was Mark's phone calling my mom. And I know he was saying, it's okay, mom. Please don't hit yourself. I'm still here. His phone was inside my mother's house. And the only people in the house were the coroner and other authorities. And the strange thing was, we couldn't hear them talking through his phone. Just the clicking in it. My brother was laying on the living room floor, and his phone was on my mother's kitchen cabinet. There's no way it could have called her, so I know it was him saying, I'm good, Mom. Don't hurt yourself so bad. This story would have fit in perfectly in Jimmy and Bill Hall's book, Phantom Messages. Be sure to grab a copy of that book. It's a dandy. Here's another story from our friend Linda. Another incident I remembered, I was with my mom in the kitchen, which was at the back of the house. We had a wooden porch that ran the length of the house. When you stood at the stove, you could look through the house and see the front door. It was during the day, and the inside door was open, and there was a storm door outside of it. So my mom and I were in the kitchen when we heard someone walking across the porch and rattled the handle of the storm door. You would be able to see if someone was at the door. Then the footsteps went back across the porch and was gone. We looked at each other and I went out to see what was going on. And nobody was on the road, up or down. And I walked around to the back and nobody was there either. Now, my aunt and uncle owned the house, and he was killed in the coal mine right down the road from the house. He would walk to work. Pretty creepy. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Take it away, Jimmy. This portion of In Dark Places is sponsored by Wrangler. Wrangler is enduring American freedom. It's in the spirit of people who work hard have fun, and recognize courageous individuality. As a company, we believe in solid commitments 
and perseverance in the face of obstacles and challenges. Most of all, we respect ourselves, each other, our Western heritage, and the environment in which we live. And uh, here's a little something from Wrangler. Comes Wrangler, he's one tough customer. He's built to take it with looks that make it, yeah. When he says jeans, he means Wrangler. Wrangler means styles built to get around. Really go to town. Looking good, top to bottom. Here comes Wrangler, and he's one. It's the same as ever, even before the first pair of Wrangler jeans were made in 1947. Our history runs parallel to the rise of the country. Are jeans worn by the same people who built it. Thanks, Wrangler. Hey, thank you, Wrangler. We've reached the big time. Here's another story from Mark's sister, Carla. My other brother told his wife he had been having conversations with Mark and my deceased dad. He came to my house a week to the day before he died, and I noticed he was acting stranger than he usually did. He had told me he needed to use my restroom, and he came upstairs. He was upstairs for at least ten minutes, and then he came back downstairs and said, I have to go, and he walked out the door. After he left, my husband and I both looked at each other and said he is acting crazy as heck. I have a door leading to the deck of my bedroom, and it has a mirror on it. My son came to my bedroom door and said, Mom, who wrote on your mirror? I said, I don't know. What does it say? He said that it says, Mark was here. And beside it, it said, Love you, sis. I was beside myself. I started digging cards out and trying to compare the signature. And believe it or not, they were identical. I never got the chance to tell my other brother because he committed suicide right after I discovered it. I often wonder if Mark was with him in his last two weeks and he just wanted to go be with his brother. I know Bo had to have written it, but was it Mark telling him what to write? I just wish he would have waited till his time came instead of ending his life the way he did. Here's another story sent in by our good friend, Paul Chadwick. This one's called Archbishop Scrope's Procession. The most veritable ghost was the one supposed to be that of Archbishop Scrope, who walked the road to conduct his own funeral procession. The Archbishop, it will be remembered, was tried in 1405 at the palace under the instruction of Henry IV. Found guilty of treason, he rode to his execution, which took place in a field near Clementhorpe, just outside the city. The most persistent story told of his ghostly appearance was related by a man who made his living as a slaughterman and by doing odd jobs for the butchers of the city. This fellow, Robert Johnson, was accompanied by an apprentice, and they were sent to a farm beyond Bishopthorpe to fetch some sheep. As they returned in the darkness, nearing the hauling lane, each suddenly saw a coffin suspended in the air and moving slowly along in the direction of York. It tilted occasionally as if borne on the shoulders of men 
or thrown out of step by the rugged terrain of the road. The coffin was covered with a heavy black pall of velvet fringed with white silk. Behind it, with measured tread, walked a bishop dressed in fine linen, bearing in his hands a large open book, over which his head was bent, but from his lips no sound came. On went this procession with the steady precision observed in bearing the dead to the grave. While the man's sheep kept pace, they would not be driven past the strange sight. Both men and the both man and the boy felt as if the power of speech had left them, and for the moment both were paralyzed. Both were sweating heavily, that so much that it appeared they were came out of a river. They say here. They felt the atmosphere was so heavy that they could not breathe. The spectral procession continued to move at a leisurely pace until it came to a field where the archbishop was beheaded. There, the vision disappeared. Robert Johnson and the apprentice made their way home in silence and were put to bed in a state of shock where they remained for several days. When sufficiently restored, their story was repeated with a particular detail and gained universal credence from the fact that many villagers and citizens had experienced like sight and sensation. The boy forsook his business and went to sea, lest he be compelled to take a similar journey, whilst the man afterwards avoided that road at nightfall, but never swerved from declaring his story true. Imagine this little kid that was helping out with the sheep there. After this incident, he just went to sea. He, he went... To see. That's it. Thank you. Now here's one more story from our friend Linda. This is a quick encounter, but one that has stayed with me. I don't know how old I was at the time, but I know I was close to 10 years. We lived in an old coal camp house, and a lot of stuff happened to me there. A coal camp house is when a coal mine opens and they build homes for the workers and fancy homes for the superintendents. We moved there in 1969 and used coal heaters. Anyway, you got to the bathroom by going through my bedroom. My dad never let me keep my bedroom light on even though he knew I was afraid of the dark. So I'd leave the bathroom light on and go into my room to turn that light on. One night, I opened the door, and there was a little girl standing there in the light from the bathroom. She was smiling at me. She was wearing an old-fashioned pink dress, like a pinafore, with a white apron, and her hair in ringlets. Her hair looked blonde with pink ribbons. We stood there staring at each other, and then... She hopped over into the shadows. Even though she seemed solid, she wasn't, if that makes sense. I slammed the door and yelled for my mom. I didn't feel any threat or anything. It was just startling. She sure was pretty. She seemed younger than me because she was shorter. This was probably the early 70s because we moved out of that house in 1975. I was probably 12 or 13 at the most. And thanks, Linda. Those are great stories. We appreciate you taking the time to type those out for us. 
by special request, we have an alien abduction story for Phenom Susan and UFO Fred. Woman claims she has been kidnapped by aliens 52 times. Paula Smith said that her first extraterrestrial experience happened when she was six years old, and since then she has been abducted more than 50 times. The woman, grandmother of two, buckle my shoe, revealed that aliens took her on a UFO and showed her all kinds of new technologies, including touchscreen devices. Paula says, I saw touchscreen devices before they were even out. I was on a craft and the aliens showed me technology we didn't have. They showed me a slideshow of pristine scenery which had a beautiful river that then turned black. The blue sky went blood red and I soon realized it was a movie of the earth being destroyed through man's greed. For people not willing to believe her, Paula shared photos of bruises which, according to her, were left on her body by aliens after they abducted her. I have experienced 52 paranormal incidents. Wait a minute, wait a minute. She was just saying that, uh, that man's, uh, that man's evilness caused the earth to be destroyed, but they gave her a good beating on the way out of her abduction. Okay, okay. Uh, I've experienced 52 paranormal incidents. Even I can't believe the stories at times, so I'm not surprised when others don't believe me or the subject. There's no consistency with the experiences, but very few times I can sense something is about to happen. But I don't know what to expect. It just happens. There's no warning, and I can't sense anything is going to happen. It just happens. Paula, what are you talking about? Breathe. Calm down. All I can do is carry on as normal, otherwise I'd go crazy. Paula, I think you already got there. Anyways, Paula also drew a picture of an alien in a silver color to show what they look like. I have experienced 52 paranormal incidents. Even I can't believe the stories at times. Okay, she just repeats herself a little bit here. But there's your uh, alien abduction story for the week. Thank you. Here's a few more stories from Carla before we close out our Haunted World Chapter 2. Remember, if you'd like to be a part of future editions of our Haunted World, send an email to indarkplacespod at hotmail.com. Carla says, We did lots of EVPs here in this house. When I first moved in, I went to the store, and when I came home, there was an elderly man standing in front of the house, looking at it. I asked him if he needed anything. He said, that he and his wife used to live here. He was a preacher and he said his wife was in their bedroom one day and an angel appeared. He said it scared her to death. When I asked what room it was in, he said it's the room leading to the deck, which is my room. But after that encounter is when we started noticing things. We sat in the bedroom floor 
and we're in a circle talking to the ghosts and we're recording my youngest son spoke up and said this is stupid and I said jokingly of course Andrew doesn't think you're real we kept asking questions with nothing happening so when we went back and listened as soon as I said that you could hear a deep whisper in the recording that said watch out and that was when we realized we couldn't hear anything but a recorder captured it so we continued to record I would leave my phone downstairs for hours while no one was around it and everyone was sleeping but I could hear people talking I heard a woman humming and what sounded like an electric can opener and then a small child said mommy also I heard lots of dragging like someone dragging something across the floor we heard that more than anything all the time dragging sounds very strange I grew up with a grandmother who wholeheartedly believed in spirits and believed that she could communicate with them she told me many times that I had the gift and I would find out what that meant as I got older and let me tell you I sure did my aunt who I was very close to passed away unexpectedly like Mark I was living with my husband at the time and his parents we stayed in her basement it was like an apartment it had a kitchen bathroom and a bedroom a day after she died I was sitting and watching TV and the phone rang and I always knew when it was for me because you could hear his mom walk to the basement door well she said it was for me and when I went to the phone it had a dial tone I went upstairs and asked who it was she said it was your Aunt Jane I said you mean Jamie which was Jane's sister she said no Jane I told her there was no way because Jane died yesterday I called Jamie and asked her if she had called and she said no so I thought it was strange but also thought there has to be a logical explanation for it so I went on with my day and the next day the same thing happened the phone rang my mother-in-law yelled and told me it was for me it had a dial tone but the craziest part of this was when I approached her and asked her who it was she said not sure she said her name was Ruth Jane now what makes this so unbelievable is no one knew Jane's name was Ruth especially not my mother-in-law no one ever called her that they called her Jane my in-laws didn't really know my family at all they never met my extended family so she should not have known my aunt's full name unless the person on the phone gave it to her now I found it very odd that the two people who died unexpectedly suddenly are the two I got phone calls from almost like they were stuck here trying to let me know maybe they were frightened and didn't know what to do or how to move on because death happened so quickly it really makes you sit and analyze what happens after death I truly feel it is not the end and I agree life goes on for sure thanks Carla for all those cool stories we really appreciate you taking the time to send those in 
And Jimmy Haunted has one more story for us. The Silver Arrow. It's a mystery that plagued the city of Stockholm, Sweden for decades. 50 years ago, the Silver Arrow train first took to the tracks, and it has terrified locals ever since. The eight-car silver aluminum train had been built as a test unit in the 1960s. It was different than all the other trains. It was never painted like the others. The others were painted green, and they kept this one silver. It had an unusual whirring sound, and it was devoid of the usual advertisements and graffiti that adorned the walls of other trains. It was the Silver Arrow's unusualness that marked it as different, capturing the imaginations of Stockholm's locals. According to urban legends, anyone who stepped on board was lucky to step off again. Passengers claimed to have been lost in time and arrived at their stop months later. Others say the train only stops at an abandoned station called Kimlinge, leading to the popular local saying, only the dead get off at Kimlinge. And there's a Swedish um, writer who wrote about the train in a 1986 book, and it says he claims it only is seen after midnight. It stops only once every year. The passengers in the train seem to be living dead with expressionless, vacant looks. A very common detail is that a person who just wants to travel to the next station remains seated for one week in the Silver Arrow. Many girls dared not enter trains which they believed could be the Silver Arrow. The train was occasionally used until 1996 when the cars were split, but to this day, Locals remain haunted by the legends of the Silver Arrow. And just like that, we're out of time. We really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for any positive reviews on iTunes or sharing the show. All these little things add up and help the show grow. If you've got a story to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the show, Send an email to indarkplacepot at hotmail.com. God bless you. See ya.